in order to best understand and apply the parable that we just heard, we should first get our bearings in the Gospel of Matthew. So in the verses immediately prior to the Gospel we heard today, Palm Sunday has just happened. Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem on his donkey to the cries of Hosanna in the highest. And he's fresh off that crazy episode in the temple where he drives out all of the money changers and overturns all their tables. So suffice to say, Jesus has been causing quite a stir in Jerusalem at one of the peak pilgrimage times in the year, the days leading up to Passover. And consequently, the events leading up to his passion and his death and his resurrection have been set in motion. In other words, this gospel this weekend comes at a time when Jesus has thrown off his gloves. He has returned to the holy city of Jerusalem to accomplish his father's will. He's here to finish the task for which he was born, to confront sin and death head on. This is the beginning of his hour. He knew he was about to die a shameful death. He knew he would be raised in glory. He knew the entire plan, and his face was now set towards everything that was about to happen. And now we find him once again in the temple, this time speaking directly to the chief priests and the elders, the same leaders who in just a few days would be condemning him before Pontius Pilate, who would be mocking him as he helplessly hung on a cross. So that is the pulsating and intense context within which we need to read this famous parable of the wicked tenants. The tension is literally jumping from the pages of Matthew's Gospel as Jesus says to the chief priests and elders, hear another parable. Jesus goes on to deliver this deeply convicting story about a vineyard and about wicked tenants who have failed to produce the good fruits that they had a responsibility to hand over to the landowner. The tenants who arrogantly presumed that their master was harmlessly far away begin to mistreat, persecute, and kill every servant that they were sent. Christ's story is an explicit reference, almost, almost, word for word, to Isaiah's own allegory about a vineyard uh, that yielded only wild grapes. That's what we heard about in our first reading. But in that first reading, we hear the words, what more could have been done for this vineyard? What more could have been done? God provided everything for this vineyard. And here, Jesus adds a crucial thing to his version of the vineyard story. Jesus adds something unexpected. Jesus adds something disrupting, something that may have even seemed absurd to his original audience. Quote, finally, 
he sent his son to them, thinking, they will respect my son. Now up to this point, the tenants haven't respected any of the other servants sent from the landowner, so it should be clear where this is heading. This is the heir, they say. Come, let us kill him and acquire his inheritance. And so it happens. And this, of course, is an obvious reference to the Incarnation, to God sending his Son into the world out of love, only for the Son to be mistreated and killed. Christ then poses a piercing question. What will the owner of the vineyard do to those tenants when he comes? Just like the prophet Isaiah, Jesus essentially puts the ball in their court. Judge between me and my vineyard. Now that the Son has been sent, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I had not done? And the priests and the elders draw the obvious conclusion. The tenants deserve to be held accountable for their evil deeds. Then, and this is a really striking moment, Jesus pulls the rug out from under their feet, and he makes it clear to them that he's talking about them. You are those tenants. You are those men. You deserve to be held accountable. And his objection, objective is clear. He's bringing to the attention of the priests and elders the deep error of their ways. In rejecting him, they have rejected the stone that will become the cornerstone, the foundation of a new and everlasting temple. That God's beloved Son was sent to them for their own good, to give them yet another chance at joy, but that they failed to get the memo. So how is this relevant to us today? We're not chief priests and elders. Well, I see in this parable a Jesus that is perhaps quite different from some of our modern, nice conceptions of him as a gentle, unobtrusive guy that will go to any lengths not to offend anyone. I see in this story a Jesus who is not afraid to stand up for the truth and say the really hard thing, to convict people of their mistaken notions, to call it like it is. But I also see a Jesus who does all of this much-needed prophetic truth-telling with the utmost love. And here's the key for us, I think, today. Without anxiety. Without anxiety. St. Paul in our second reading today says it best. Have no anxiety, but in everything, no matter what's going on, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Jesus in this moment is totally free from anxiety when he confronts and shocks those who disagree with him. He is unafraid to serenely deliver today's devastating parable because he knows that no matter what the priests and elders choose to do to him, that God is in control, that the Lord has this, 
Maybe with everything going on in our world today, we feel a powerful desire to confront evil head on, to stand up for truth. And that is an excellent and good desire. But the challenge for us is to always do so without anxiety, without any kind of selfishness or defensiveness or fear, without any of that agitation and resentment that we so easily fall into when things seem to be going terribly wrong. Our leader and savior, Jesus Christ, shows us how to throw off the gloves and go toe-to-toe with real problems and real evil and real injustice, but also with deep humility and an unshakable peace of heart. How is that possible? How does Jesus do that? He's inviting us into that. Well, because he knows exactly who he is. He knows who he is. He has confidence that he is truly God's son, sent in love by the Father into this vineyard that's about to kill him, but for the sake of the world's salvation. So too, by our baptism, we are God's beloved children now, sent into this world, yes, to convict and exhort, but always to do so with charity and with mercy, always bearing fruit befitting the vineyard of the Lord, always from a place of deep contemplative prayer, and always with a deep desire to discover truth, goodness, and beauty anywhere that it is found. Remember, Jesus died for the priests and elders that he just totally burned with this parable. There wasn't a trace of vindictiveness in him at all. He loved his enemies enough to stir the pot, but also to allow them to crucify him and bring forth the fruit that lasts into eternity, the fruit of the resurrection. He loved them from the cross. Christ points out for us a very different way to stand up for truth, a way that is no less strong or convicting, but a way that is willing to become weak. The lives of the saints also confront and shock us with how weak they become and how utterly unanxious they are. St. Francis of Assisi, for instance, whose feast day would ordinarily be today if he didn't get kicked out by a Sunday, which is great too. He is probably one of the most shocking of all. But maybe shocking isn't the word that comes to mind when you think of St. Francis of Assisi. Maybe we imagine him more as a nice, tame garden statue with birds on his head. In reality, this man was a reflection of the wildness and the freedom of Christ, a living confrontation with all of the world's apathy and lack of love. His decision to respond to God's call and radically live out the evangelical counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience was attractive to many, but it was also deeply controversial. 
Francis didn't really fit into any existing categories at the time. He was aflame with prophetic zeal, and his love for God made him unpredictable, beguiling, and dangerous to the world's closely held values of money and power and pleasure. In a time when God seemed very far away, Francis made him seem much closer, maybe too close. But he did so in faith and in joy, free from that restless anxiety that seems to doubt that God really is in control, no matter what's going on. So let us learn today from saints like St. Francis of Assisi and peacefully defy what the world assumes to be most important. Let us all become witnesses who boldly stand up for truth, but by becoming poor, by becoming weak, and free from all anxiety.